Hello and welcome back to the podcast. The Sermon on the Mount represents one of Jesus' most powerful and probably influential blocks of teaching that still challenges the reader just as much today as it would have 2,000 years ago. So we're going to take the next several weeks to methodically unpack Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'd like to invite you to join us on that journey. If you have any more questions about the Traders Point Church of Christ, please visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week. We're continuing in our study through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be finishing up Matthew chapter 6 today. We've got a special guest with us, Calvin Johns, who uh, preaches for the church in San Francisco, is in town visiting this weekend, and uh, he's been kind enough to join us for uh, this podcast episode. So thank you, Calvin, for being here. We're going to pick his brain a little bit uh, on the end of Matthew chapter 6. Before we get into the text uh, for today, Jeremy, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of context on where we are uh, and, you know, we're nearing the end of chapter 6. We're over halfway through this text. But as we say every week, it's important to just remember that this is one teaching that Jesus is engaged in. So maybe kind of bring us up to speed uh, before we dive into the text today. Yeah, I mean, we've continually gone back to chapter 5 and verse 20, where he, he makes the point to those that were to be his disciples that their <clears throat> righteousness was going to have to ex- exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then what you really have throughout the r- remainder of chapter 5 and even into chapter 6 is you have this incredible contrast between, for instance, the way that the scribes and Pharisees uh, interpreted and and enforce the law versus what Jesus is looking for. We talked about a lot of those and really focused it on the heart. That becomes the biggest uh, component. And what we talked about last week from, you know, the beginning of chapter six, right, where you have this, you know, incredible comparison in regards to doing good deeds or, uh, you know, charity for other folks or your prayers or fasting even, that, that that isn't about being done the way it normally is done with the focus on other people or other people seeing how righteous you may be. God is able to see in secret. That's the main point he made in all three counts. God sees in secret. He's able to reward you in secret. So you make sure your heart, again, is where it needs to be, and you're playing to that audience of one, not the audience of man. And I think now as we get to the end of chapter 6, you almost start to feel the end of a conclusion, mm-hmm. you know, coming in a yeah. lot of ways. And, and yeah. to me, this section that we're going to cover today, it kind of begins the end, if you will, as he gets and kind of brings uh, kind of everything together, I think. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about that. But uh, before we dive into it, Calvin was gracious enough to agree to read this text for us. So he'll pick up for us in verse 19 and read through the end of chapter 6. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Blessed to be here. Uh, Verse 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you for reading that. This is one of those sections of text. I know in my Bible anyway, there are a lot of subheadings that break up this text, and I hate that. (laughs) I understand why they do it. It it helps kind of transition from different points that Jesus is making. But this is so connected in the, the way that he's talking about these things. And it, it really stood out to me, especially there at towards the beginning of, of the text you were reading. Jesus is still focused on the heart. Like, that's what this is all about. And, and each of these, each of these uh, separate points that he's going to make continues to tie back to that greater theme that we've seen from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is trying to turn the attention of those listening, turn our attention away from things of a physical nature, away from the checkbox mentality that the Pharisees had established, and focus in on the heart. What, what, what is it about what's inside of us that makes us who we are, and how is that connected to the Lord? That's what Jesus is trying to get us to focus in on, and he just continues to hammer that point time and time again. You know, I find it interesting. I think it's going to come back to it at the very end of chapter 7. But I think, you know, uh, through this section, you know, we spend a lot of time towards the very end of this section. That's a pretty well-known, you know, passage. But you even look at verses, uh, to your point, like verses 22 and 23, where, you know, the point he's making is you almost don't even have to consider the outward. Like, Mm -hmm. you, you don't even have to think about that. That if you are really focusing in on the heart, if you're focusing on what's happening on the inside, the outside is going to take care of itself. And so, again, he'll come back to that point even at the end of chapter 7. But to to your point, he is continually hammering the heart. And, again, you have that great contrast from where we just were earlier on in this chapter that we talked about last week where you have people who are only focused on the outside. You're only focused on whether the people were seeing that I'm praying or they were seeing me give, you know, gifts to other people. They were seeing me have a terrible time as I've, you know, I'm fasting in some capacity. 
And Jesus like, no, you just need, you need to work on the heart. Mm-hmm. So you continue to kind of have this contrast. But I think it simplifies. I think that's something we've talked a lot about. It almost simplifies our thinking that I, I don't have to think about all of those other things. I, I can make sure the heart is where it needs to be. And if I got that under control, now everything else falls into place. I would say, too, thinking about, thinking about that, it— We've made the point several times that a lot of what Jesus says in this seems very countercultural, and and he continues with that same reality as he talks about you know laying up for your tra- laying up your treasures in heaven, and not focusing on the things of a physical nature. Well, to our culture and our society, that seems opposite. You know, you gotta you gotta prepare for the future. You gotta make sure your family's taken care of. Like that's gotta be priority number one. You know, work hard so that you can retire one day. Work hard so that you can buy the house you've always wanted. That's that's just the American mentality. That's the way we think about life. And, and I have to imagine, based on how Jesus is talking here, that it was very similar in their day as well. Mm-hmm. And and he's trying to make the point, again, that the ways of the Lord are going to seem countercultural. And that's not only okay, but that's the way it should be. If we're able to go through our lives and not feel as if we are butting heads with culture, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. And because the ways of God has have always been counter to what society typically puts forward as the way things should be. And so I can, you know, again, thinking about Jesus and, and the, the pressures that he's going to face as his ministry continues, one of them is going to come from that idea that he's just going to continue to to harp on ideas that sound very unusual and don't seem to make sense to the worldly mind, but that's where Jesus wants us to kind of draw that line in the sand. We're not going to think about things in a worldly nature. We're going to think about them from a spiritual perspective. Yeah, and because this is a sermon that God has preserved for us, we should recognize that it applies to us too, right? Yeah, like yeah, absolutely. When Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, I should understand that my heart disposition is to do exactly that, mm-hmm. right? He says it again in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. This is what people outside of the kingdom of God do before they come to know Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, we've talked a lot about this, especially when you start to look at this sermon, if you will, in its entirety. Man, it's incredible contrast. And almost to your point, he's contrasting probably with a lot of his audience, right? A lot of his audience is probably the scribes, the Pharisees. This is, you know, a lot of his audience. And you know, and he's he's bucking up against that culture in every capacity, and he really boils it down. That's why I really say this is the beginning of the conclusion, because he really begins to put you in a position where now you've got to make a decision. Mm-hmm. He's like, here are, here are a lot of things to think about. Here are a lot of things to consider. But now you've got to really be thinking about making a decision. So you, that's why you have verse 24. You, you can't serve two masters. You've got to make a choice. And that's why, I mean, that huge section from 25 to 34, I didn't go through and count, but I had to have a half a dozen questions. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how you get people to start you know, thinking about now. There's a decision to be made, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's one or it's the other. And you have heaven or you have earth. And you cannot serve both of those things. And I, to that point, when he's asking the, all of those questions, especially in the context of, you know, therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. 
asking those questions make a lot of people worried about things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the the almost the irony of, of what yeah. he's saying right, here, right. Sure. because if if you tell people. Hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about where your clothing is going to come from. Don't worry about where your housing is going to come from. That's just going to make a lot of people anxious. But that, that is, that's the, the path, that's the journey that Jesus is trying to take us on is how do you get from that mindset to the mindset that doesn't worry about those things, mm-hmm. that, that is perfectly content to put those things in the hands of God and trust him. That's the, that's the journey that he asks all of us to go on and, and find the faith that it requires to be comfortable and confident in God's provision for us. And that, you know, again, as, as we're talking to people and, and we're kind of trying to help people as, as they develop their own faith or grow in their faith, I think we have to be patient with them and understand that what he's asking them to do, while not complicated— is also not easy, mm-hmm. and it's going to take some time for a lot of people to get past that worldly mindset and, and be able to truly look at their lives as something they're just going to put in God's hands and trust that he's going to care for them. That's not an easy thing to do, and it takes time to develop that level of faith. Yeah, I don't know if I had sat and—I don't think I had sat and appreciated the flurry of questions that mm-hmm. Jesus lays out here. And then, like, you're right, um, John, they are questions that would— stoke anxiety. Well, I wasn't anxious about that, but now that I'm thinking about that, now that you say that, right? And, you know, Psalm 23 just kind of comes to mind here where Jesus is being a wonderful shepherd. I think that uh, as humans, we don't think about these things because we don't have sufficient answers to them. What am I going to eat? Well, I don't know. So I'm not going to think about that. And so Jesus is bringing that up and, and diving into that anxiety with us with the truth um, of, of faith. Well, God provides, right? Trust in that. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, the word you just threw out there with trust, I mean, that to me is one of the biggest keys. Even though you have, you know, like in verse 30, he uses the word faith, right? I mean, that that certainly is there. But it, 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 this is a passage about trust. Are you willing, right? Are you willing to trust? Are you willing mm-hmm. to depend? Are you willing right. to depend on God? Are you willing right. to... You know, are you willing to do, you know, those kinds of things? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as we read through this, it, it is one of those things where all of us have to just take inventory of our own thinking towards um, our, our, our trust in God's provision, because it is something that we have to work on daily. I mean, that, that's the reality of it for us is we can, we can feel as if we are growing in certain areas and then something will happen. And what we really find is, no, I have put all of my trust in some worldly possession, my health, my family, my job. Something happens to one of those things, and all of a sudden now I realize that my confidence has been in that, my faith Mm -hmm. has been in that. And it's something that we have to just constantly be taking inventory of because we can slip back into something like this very quickly and very easily if we're not careful. It's something we always have to be on guard against. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting— he almost makes it silly, you know, through this section a little bit. He calls you to think for sure. That's what questions do, yeah. right? Questions really cause you to think. But, you know, that, that's what he's, he kind of paints that picture. I mean, do the birds, are they taken care of? <laughs> is the grass, is it take, are, are the flowers, they're take, and it, again, we're all like, yeah, of course they're taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then it's that, that step that he takes. Well, it, do you, is it not logical then that, that he would do that 
for the crowning jewel of creation? Right. If he's going to do that for the flowers and the, and the trees and the grass, would he not do for the creation that was created in his image? Doesn't mm-hmm. that make sense that he would do that? And so it has a very logical spin to it. And I think sometimes we lose sight of we lose sight of that when we think of faith and we think mm-hmm. of trust that we throw logic out, right? We're throwing we're throwing logic away. Well, I mean certainly Hebrews chapter eleven it doesn't paint that picture. And this doesn't. This is a very logical mm-hmm. argument mm-hmm. where then Jesus at the end of it calls on faith. Yep. And so it's a really interesting pull uh, you know on both of those things. You know, faith is one of those things that I don't think I, I guess I haven't Take an inventory of it as we've gone through, but it, that's not necessarily a word that Jesus is using in the Sermon on the Mount. But everything that he's saying is about faith, yeah. because in order for us to to put our trust in God, in order for us to uh, give our lives to Him, in order for us to turn our hearts over to Him, it requires faith in order for us to do that. And if we don't have faith, we're going to resist that. We're not going to be able to fully give ourselves over to him. And so while it's not necessarily, again, not necessarily something that Jesus is is using over and over again, I think we would be irresponsible to read through the Sermon on the Mount and not realize that nearly the entirety of it is centered around a requirement and a need for faith in order to be pleasing to God. It's not, it's not the Pharisee's checklist it's not the garments that they wear. It's not the prayers that they say on the street corner. It's none of those things. What's required of us is faith. What's required of us is our heart. Those are the things that Jesus is talking about. And, you know, it, it shouldn't take us by surprise. I mean, that's in essence, I mean, that's the gospel at the end of the day. He wants our heart. He wants faith. I mean, that's what it's all built upon. And so it shouldn't surprise us that one of these foundational sermons that Jesus is teaching is all centered around those two things. And so, yeah, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you may not find the word faith in there a whole lot, but uh, that, in essence, is what Jesus is talking about through the entirety of this sermon. Yeah, what what I love at the end of this section is you're getting Jesus with that call to action, right? It is the don't don't worry. You get that in verse 31. Don't worry about these things. You get it again in verse 34. Don't worry about these things. But again... It's not Jesus just throwing something out there, like, yeah. don't worry. He he equips them, right? How, how do I do that? Because, again, that's one of those things that's easier said than done. You've said sure. all these things, I'm, now I'm worrying, right? <laughs> and so it, he also provides that, you know, how you do it. And so that's when you have that great, you know, priority passage there in verse 33, that, mm-hmm. you know, how? How is it that I can live a life that I can depend on God or I can live a life of no worry? Well, the, the way that you do that is you're putting God and you're putting his kingdom first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You put God and his kingdom first, now that's what enables me mm-hmm. to, to not worry about these kinds of things. And so you have Jesus yeah, giving us that call to action, but at the same time he's, he's showing us how, how then to do mm-hmm. it. That's what makes it a powerful sermon for sure. Yep. Calvin, any last thoughts on this before we put a bow on it and uh, wrap it up for this week? I know this is... This is, I imagine it's got to be difficult coming in at this point in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Jeremy and I feel like we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for the last couple of months. So you're coming in kind of towards the end on this. But any last thoughts for us before we wrap it up? Yeah, uh, just to that point about faith. I mean, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys. I mean, that requires a faith. You can't see heaven right now, and that's 
you know, a big reason why the moths can't get in and the, the thieves can't get in, mm-hmm. right? It's somewhere else. And so um, that same point is in, you know, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, we're seeking something that we don't see with our eyes. And um, the question that, you know, I, I have is, well, how do you do that? Right? How do you seek the mm-hmm. thing that you don't see? And the wonderful thing about it is in sitting here at Jesus' feet, listening to him preach this sermon, considering the things that he's saying, being led by him through these questions and these truths is how we do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's extremely accessible. Yep, absolutely. We'll go ahead and stop there for the week. I want to thank everyone for taking some time to join us in our study, and we'll pick up in Chapter 7 next week.